mode. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Podcast Gals. I'm here today with Rochelle and Jordan. And today we're going to discuss the foster system, aging out of the foster system, and some things that come along with this, such as human trafficking and incarceration, PTSD, and homelessness. And we also are going to have a special guest interview with Andrew Martinez, who is the Foster Youth Initiative Coordinator here in Las Vegas. So we can just jump right in and get to talking about foster care in Las Vegas. Um, according to Clark County Foster Care Services, there are approximately 3,000 children in the Clark County foster care system. And this can extend from infants to 21-year-olds. And within Nevada and Clark County, the age that children age out of the foster care system is 18. So what do you guys think about this being the age of aging out of the foster system and losing kind of your resources and community that you have being in foster care in Nevada? Um, I think it's kind of hard if aging out at 18 just because like when I was 18, I didn't have a lot of resources just in general. So I can't even imagine like being 18 and having less of less of what I've already had seems already difficult as is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I think like when I was 18, I was still even just in high school and I wouldn't know how to find a house to live in or how to provide groceries for myself or yeah exactly so I feel like yeah like 18 years old you shouldn't be in charge of bills and rent and all that can also be a a lot harder because like at 18 a lot of people are still in high school too Mm -hmm. so they might not have even graduated yet and yet they're expected to provide for themselves at this point too exactly and it says from Nevada Foster Youth and Institute high school dropout high school like foster kids who are in high school drop out three times higher than foster youth for fo- the the high school. Let me start over. It says <laughs> in the National Foster Youth Institute that high school dropout rates are three times higher for foster youth than any other low-income children. So people drop out of high school for various reasons, but when it comes to kids in foster care, school's definitely not their priority, and it's understandable because you're not thinking of your science test next week when you don't have a place to stay that night exactly like uh less than one in four foster youth enroll in college as well yeah and I feel like a lot of kids don't even know the opportunities they have even with uh high school and college that they think that there's really no hope and there's not any way they can further their education because they don't have anyone to support them they don't like even we're in college and the FAFSA itself is difficult and (laughs) of like foster kids trying to fill that out on their own and they don't have they may not have like current income from their parents to fill it out or even help understanding all that stuff on there I would be stressed out if I was in their shoes to say yeah exactly me too yeah it's already stressful like not having to deal with that because like even as like when we were all first getting out of high school, I mean, we didn't even know all the resources we could have just to get into college without having to deal with the foster care system to begin with of like aging out. So just adding that on top of it just creates so many more stresses that 
it's it's just crazy to think about but like if only there was a way like that I feel like schools could be a lot more productive at trying to show those resources to high school students as well yeah I think just the education like the gap that there is because I see that there are some resources like the step up program from Clark County Social Services Services that ha- offer like housing assistance, educational assistance, employment assistance, and funds for rent, rental assistance, move-in fees and everything. But people don't know about this stuff or mm-hmm. they only get this information if they have an open case manager or social worker working with them directly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, just because they're available doesn't mean that they're seeing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and with this we can really talk about the trafficking aspect um I mean as we saw in our crime scene that is pretty much what it was all about human trafficking girls who are in the foster care system and have no other they don't know that they had no other options and they think that this is the only way they can make money and have a stable income way of living even though that they may not want to and reported by Newsweek the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children found that of the more than 18,500 endangered runaways reported one in six were likely victims of child sex trafficking and of those 86% in the care of social services went missing so We know that trafficking is happening, especially here in Las Vegas. I feel like it's very prevalent that, and everyone hides it and everyone sweeps it under the rug, but all these people go missing every single day and people don't care to look for them because they're quote unquote criminals or doing something wrong when they're really just victims of the Mm -hmm. system of aging out and having nowhere to go. And this is their kind of only way out, only way to make money. Or they get caught up or tricked by pimps to work for them. Exactly. Like, you're out on the streets or you're out, like, looking for a way to, like, find your next meal or something like that. And someone comes up next to you and is saying, hey, I can give you this amount of money for if you just do this one small task for me. And that's how that's how easy it is to get swept in. Yeah. Like, even if you have, like, social service cares or something like that or a social worker, those workers are so, like, overworked that it's easy to like have one of their cases slip through and they're not able to see what's going on with any of the foster kids yeah and it's 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 crazy how quickly um everything can honestly escalate for people in those types of situations because you know you think about it now and you go oh I would never do that I'd never put myself in that situation but like until you're actually there and you're experiencing like the stress of like I don't know where I'm going to stay tonight I don't know what I like if I'm going to be able to eat I don't know what's going to happen like you don't going to react and I feel like a lot of people probably would fall into those categories if put into those situations too no absolutely like saying that you won't do it is a very privileged thing to say especially because you've never been in that situation but once you're in the situation it's a completely different thing Mm -hmm. like it says that by uh um in 2014 like New York authorities estimated that 85% of sex trafficking victims were previously in the child welfare system. And so that just means that, like, just because you're in the system and you have some sort of access, it doesn't mean that you're 
safe and away from all of these stressors and these risk factors that you're going to be exposed to if you're on the streets or if you're in foster care or if you age out. Yeah, exactly. It's that number is like shocking, but it's also not because yeah. you think 85%, that's a lot of people. And though the cycle that comes with being in the child welfare system, foster care, or even just being homeless for a short amount of time and getting caught up in sex trafficking here in Nevada, here everywhere, like sex trafficking rings that go state to state and no one does anything about it because no one and guys that get involved in sex trafficking who are tricked and stuck and they don't know what to do and how to get out or they don't see any light at the end of the tunnel when there really is light and there are people that care about them but we have to make those connections to help people who need the help and want the help yeah like it's easy to turn a blind eye to someone who that they can just like deem like inhumane Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well it's even sadder too because like um they even pointed out the NCMEC CEO had actually told Congress that children in the foster care are easy targets for pimps essentially to pick up because they're more susceptible to manipulation and false promises that these traffickers are using for them. So it's just, it makes it really hard because. Hello. <laughs> Jordan. Hi, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, I cut out. Maybe just start oh, no. over with your um, yeah. about the NC. So, saying, so, let me start over. <laughs> yeah. So, it's it's really sad to the NCMEC, the CEO, actually told Congress that children in the foster care system are actually more susceptible to like the manipulation and the false promises that these traffickers are using for them. Because I mean, when you're a kid, you know, you don't like, you don't believe that people are lying as much. You kind of want to see the, the, like everyone, you want to believe that all these false promises, like if they tell you, like, we're going to give you somewhere safe, we want to give you some, like some money to help you out. Maybe we'll give you some food. Like you want to believe that because you're kind of hoping for something better, but obviously telling the truth in these situations and it just kind of drags these foster kids further down the tunnel of trafficking. Exactly, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that is a good like segue into the incarceration rates that girls and guys who are trafficked, foster kids who are trafficked, get into because they have like a study called the school to prison pipeline and the foster to prison pipeline and did a series about all of this talking about how youth and group homes are 2.5 times more likely to become involved in the justice system than youth placed with foster families and sometimes I've even seen that this just looks like kids foster homes and group homes are so overcrowded now that Mm -hmm. at times they place kids who can't they don't have a bed to sleep in that night in the group home so they put them in jail for two nights and that goes on their record and it ends up being that prospective like adopting families want to adopt a child and they see that they were in prison but in reality they were just there because of overcrowding or housing issues and then it becomes you know a whole cycle of well, no one's going to adopt me. I don't have anyone that cares about me. And 
looking at that, it really hurts these kids who are aging out because they didn't have anyone to get them when they had a chance because of the system and because of the stigma that becomes with incarceration and juvie when it comes to foster kids and placement changes just moving around house to house also increase the likelihood of incarceration one study showed that more than 90 percent of youth in foster care with five or more moves will become out justice system and we look at these people as i think we can say as a group we kind of see these people as victims but by law they're seen mm-hmm. as criminals and they're seen as well they got involved in this and they wanted to be a, a quote-unquote prostitute and sell themselves but it's not a choice a lot yeah. of people are pimped out um targeted just like we saw in the previous that jordan was talking about like they're very much susceptible to um what's the word manipulation and it's extremely sad that they're put in jail for these things that they didn't even know they were getting themselves involved involved with yeah exactly because they're just trying to live they're just they see yeah like i said before like they see someone coming up to them and they're hoping that they're going to help them and so they're getting put in this tunnel of basically just going into the prison pipeline mm-hmm. well like, and rochelle you sorry <laughs> oh no you're keep going uh, Rochelle, you had also pointed out too when you were saying that like ninety percent of the, um, sorry, ninety percent of the foster care kids who get transferred to like five or more locations end up incarcerated, and that's so sad because it's like this isn't obviously a situation they've put themselves in. Like this is a situation that's been put onto them, because mm-hmm. um, it's not obviously their choice to keep being moved around from place to place. And so, like, by the time they age out, like, it's it's just so sad to see, like, because obviously, like, having a stable place where you can kind of grow and develop mm-hmm. means a lot to a lot of people and to a lot of children. Um, so, like, when you're moved around so much, like, it's like, it's not the kid's fault that they're getting relocated. And it's sad because, like, we were saying earlier that, like, a lot of people just, like, <laughs> when they spend the night in jail, like it's it's because they're staying for a bed you know it's not because they did something wrong and then like it just progresses and becomes so much worse over time and we see them as like in our group as victims for what's going on but obviously in the eyes of like the government and the law and everything people see them as criminals and it's just it's so heartbreaking to see that like transformation like how it develops like that exactly like moving around like place to place like even just like with your family alone, it sucks because you're not able to establish friendships in school. You're not able to kind of like get involved in sports or kind of just set these like foundations that you need to grow up and have like a good childhood and a good like connections and being able to like explore yourself and everything. And that causes a lot of like mental, like mental illness in the sense of like anxiety or depression or just like not being able to have any sort of like attachment or commitment because you think, oh, maybe in the next month or so, I'm going to be moved to a different house with a bunch of deep, with a bunch of people. Might as well be in like not social. Might as well just kind of stay to myself and not set any sort of foundations with myself or any families or teachers because like, what's the point of that? You know, like it's so like traumatizing. Because even like the study of like Team Vogue, 
they said another major drive for the foster care to prison pipeline is the criminalization of mental illness. And that mm-hmm. mental illness is driven in from moving places to places and kind of just like there's foster families that will take kids mm-hmm. just for the money and mm-hmm. they won't, you know, there's some foster families that will do it for their own self-benefit and they will just abuse these children. And that criminalization of mental illness reflects on the child themselves. It doesn't reflect on anyone else. And that becomes a bad rap for them, looping them around into the prison pipeline. And so like many foster children, they have serious traumas and mental illnesses that they deal with every single day. And some advocates believe that they're routinely overprescribed like psychiatric or medicines and stuff like that, just to, like help them with everything. And when they're overprescribed, it's not going to help them. They're either going to be addicted or whatever it goes into that same pipeline. And these medications are either over or underserved with therapy and trauma-informed care that they need to heal. But being locked up and going through the mental health crisis, it serves as a lot of like trauma and backlash that go into PTSD that they're going to have to deal with for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and then you even think of kids who don't have access to even the medication that they may need in like proper dosages mm-hmm. they, they're being affected as well because <clears throat> if they're not getting their medication if they need it to function uh, at, like actively be a part of society and that's how they need to be then they may do something that they they don't really feel inclined to they may rob a store out of like a manic episode or something and then what happens? You go to jail, mm-hmm. they see you are in foster care, they see you as a already kind of like a sad case that, oh, this is kind of expected. If we look at these statistics everywhere that we're talking about, when a foster kid gets locked in, so it's not like it's a surprise to people to see. Yeah, and that's like a constant like, loop. Exactly. And it's like they're more inclined to put these kids in jail and incarcerate them for who knows how many years and they don't have anyone to pay their bail or get a good attorney to help them get out and it's like you're just in there and you're alone and you don't know anyone who really is there for you except for your social workers who like you said earlier overworked underpaid like Mm -hmm. don't have don't have the time to really help these kids that they really want to help because of all the factors that go into helping a child that's being incarcerated. Exactly. It's really sad to see because it's, yeah, it's an ongoing thing that looks like there'll be no end to it. Yeah. And I know we're talking a lot about like aging out and what that can look like. And thankfully there are some resources that are helpful for kids like the aging out survival guide by DCFS that helps kids um, find a job, help apply for foster care, scholarships, and but even with this, I'm like dying. But even with this, you have to have birth certificates, social security cards, medical history, and some people don't have these things. And I feel like that is kind of a gap that they have because if you're in, um, when you move around a lot, you lose things. I feel like. We know we lose stuff all the time. And when you're moving house to house, I mean, it says that kids move about like five times in their life at least. You may lose your security card if you're the only one in charge of that. And then how do you apply for a job when you turn, if you want to apply for a job when you're 16, you can't even do it without your social security card. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's even like if you think about it too, like, okay, there's the people who are put into foster care like when they're born essentially, but then there's the ones who get into foster care like foster care later in their life. And I mean, it's not exactly like you know, you get put in and then they just give you your bundle and they're like, okay, here's your birth certificate and your social security card. Like, I mean, you're a child at that point. So it's like, you have to hope that some adult is looking out for you, someone in the system to get those resources for you. And they aren't just like left behind at whatever home you used to have. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you're a child. You don't know. You're not in charge of anything. You're not in charge of your social or making sure that you have your next meal to eat because you're a literal child. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even just unemployment rates, half of the system will have a bunch of gainful employment by four. I mean, we look at even today, it's hard to get a job and it's even harder to get a job that pays a living wage. Like minimum wage is what in Nevada now, 975. Yeah. Something like that. And if you have like that goes into account if they have time to work those many hours, have transportation to work that many hours to even provide for themselves after they age out and get a house or mm-hmm. find somewhere to live and pay pay for food and stuff like that. And it's income, difficult. Like income rates, it says more than seventy one percent report annual income of less than twenty five thousand. It's nearly impossible to live off of that. Of course, people make it work, but it's sad that that's the reality that people have to live and I feel like it should be more I agree especially because like in Nevada the main thing is hospitality working in casinos or working in some sort of like something along the strip or like you know anything kind of like that hospitality wise and if you have a criminal record how are you going to get a job if most of these casinos don't want people like with any sort of rap sheet yeah exactly. Yeah. it's it's also even like harder because i mean in our modern society like at this point even just to get like your basic job everybody wants experience in something and if you're like just aging out of the system or maybe you're close to aging out of the system i mean you're not going to really have a lot of experience in a lot of things so you know like maybe you didn't get the resources you needed to like know how to make a good or decent um Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the word. Resume. Resume. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'll restart that. Um, so you might not be able to have the resources you need in order to make a good resume um, or know how to interview, or you might not have the connections that you might want in order to get a decent job that will pay you anything that you need to try to survive. So it's just, it's difficult already to begin with, but then having something like we're saying like a criminal record on top of it just because you needed to stay the night mm-hmm. like in a, in a jail cell because they ran out of beds like that makes it almost impossible because like you have to be up front and tell them if you have a criminal record most of the time so yeah exactly mm-hmm. and yeah I think like you just said Jordan like that's the perfect segue into helping kids to get these skills to create resumes figure out how to interview figure out how to get a job like what that really looks like and thankfully, we have Andrew Martinez, who was um, generous enough to donate her time to let me interview her and get us more information about the Foster Youth Initiative here in Las Vegas that works with the MGM Grand. And she'll explain more later on. But 
it really is great for kids who are aging out of the system. I know that they work with kids from like eight to 16 to 24 and they help them learn hospitality, learn the ins and outs of working in hotels, whether it's like in the kitchen, um, custodial work, uh, front desk, and they provide them with all these skills, team building skills, um, resume building skills, and clothes to wear for their interviews, interviewing skills. And it's really a great thing that Andrew's doing here in Las Vegas with us. So I think we'll dive into that interview right now. And Avery and Amari will finish us off with talking about PTSD and other problems that foster youth are facing here in Las Vegas. Do, 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 do. Transition music. Andrew Martinez. Honestly, a word sound. That was great, guys. I love the do, 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 do. I'll insert real music into that part. I think we're set. Yeah. No, Definitely. Copy that sound that you just made and then just paste it between segments. Perfect. (laughs) Maybe I did. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're going to be good. I mean, I know we talked for like maybe five minutes in the beginning. And then from our like little like mess ups, it'll cut off some time. Yeah. And I'll paste it together real nice. I think it'll be fine. And then like with the interview and then like Avery and Amari's part all together, I mean, we only have to reach a half hour. So. Yeah, yeah I think we'll and it was fine. easy for us to reach a half hour just talking about these two things. Yeah, mm-hmm. what we said. Okay, I'm gonna end it now and edit everything. And I need to send Austin. If you wanna, if you guys wanna listen to the interview too, I'll probably just send it in the in the group chat because yeah. I want Avery and Amari to oh. listen to it before theirs, so they can kind of like. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna end it. Thanks, guys. All right. This was okay. fantastic. Woo. Bye. 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 And okay. Testing, testing. Testers. Testing, testing. Okay, should be good. Hi, everyone. This is Chloe here with Andrea Martinez, who came to meet with me to interview today. She is um, a part of the foster care industry program and has experience with that. And I'll just let her introduce herself and what she has done in the past and kind of her occupation and everything. Thank you so much, Chloe, for having me. So I'm Andrew Martinez. I am the project manager for the MGM Public Policy Institute, housed under the School of Public Policy and uh, the College of Urban Affairs, focusing on our foster youth initiative. I have spent roughly 10 years working in nonprofits around the community, focusing on youth engagement and various youth initiatives, uh, highly around food insecurity uh, and branching into other areas that impact our at-risk vulnerable youth in the community. So this is an amazing space to be working. Thank you so much. That sounds so like dream job. So I'm really like um, interested in that. Um, So you kind of already said a couple things about what like the Foster Youth Initiative does so how would you describe the unlv foster youth initiative mission so the mission of the foster youth initiative uh, within the institute is really to act as a support and connector for youth transitioning out of the foster care system to various resources that they need to be successful in life so workforce development professional development life skills focusing on stability and adaptability and really understanding the ever-changing workforce especially in today's kind of environment and really helping them build on the skills that they have and understanding the skills they need to be successful and how we can help them get there wonderful 
Um, can you tell me the origins of the UNLV Foster Youth Initiative? And you explained how you've been involved with it. So how did it really start off? Yeah, so it started off as a really great collaboration between the MGM Public Policy Institute, MGM Resorts, and Clark County Department of Family Services as a way to really fill the need that existed for youth transitioning out of foster care, particularly in the workforce development space. I was fortunate to be brought in to participate in the program back in April, May time when they first started uh, their first cohort. This is a pilot program, so it's been really great to continue to build it uh, and kind of figure it out as we go. So I was brought in to support with the teaching of the curriculum and officially came on full-time in September to work on the program. Beautiful. And if others wanted to get involved, are there any opportunities for other people to volunteer or just donate money for like funding and stuff like that? Absolutely. So I think we're still growing this and figuring it out as we go. There are always opportunities for those who are kind of experts in their field. So as we talk about workforce development, life skills, professional development skills, all of those things, we are always looking for ways to broaden the youth's network to professional positive role models in the community, um, as well as peer-to-peer support. So there is a beauty in working with those who are the same age as you and really getting to provide insight on where life is at. You know, youth may come from very different places, but at the end of the day, there is something to be related to within that. So opportunities to just connect with the youth and provide additional networking opportunities and to share areas of expertise with the youth. So we're always open to support within that space. Okay. And is it like... Um, what are like the age ranges of the people who go into the program? It's all high school, high school age, and like young adult. Our program is really great. So it supports youth uh, roughly 16 to 24, and we kind of focus in a little bit more on those who are aging out of the foster care system. So those who are maybe 17, kind of figuring out what things are going to happen for them when they turn 18, and those who have aged out and are transitioning into independent living and really helping them kind of hone in on their skills and figuring out kind of where they want to go in their next phase of life. So 16 to 24 is kind of our broad age range and then focusing a little closer on those who are about to transition out or have have transitioned out of the foster care system and what would be your favorite resources that this is like this program provides for foster youth I absolutely love that this program provides a network of support within the community. So it's not only amazing opportunities to interact with the staff and faculty here at UNLV, but with MGM being an amazing support and partner of this, they get to learn the ins and out of the way their corporation works. So learning about the properties and all of the opportunities and that, you know, thinking of a casino and working in one isn't just what you see when you walk down the strip. There mm-hmm. is the back end things, there's tech, there is animals, there's floral, there are so many opportunities within their mm-hmm. company um, and this program really exposes them to those opportunities and again a larger network of people who just want these youth to succeed um, it opens them up to just having potential or positive role models that they can form a network with mm-hmm. um, that's an amazing resource that we get to provide all while getting the youth that we work with to see their potential that you know being on a soccer team in high school might not seem like a skill, but really it teaches you communication. It teaches you teamwork. Getting the youth that we serve to really understand they have so much to offer Mm -hmm. and how do we help them realize their potential and kind of dream big and see their life outside of the bubble that they may currently be in. Yeah, I think it really like you telling me about it, really like honing their skills and push like pushing their like limits, going out of their comfort zone to try new things. Because I know 
when you are a John the foster system, it may seem hopeless. You don't know of resources like this. So how do you, how do these foster youth who go into the program find out about it? Is there like events that you guys hold that kind of just puts the word out there, flyers or? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do have flyers made up right now. We work very closely with Department of Family Services and their mm-hmm. supervisors and caseworkers to provide us referrals for youth who want to participate. Um, I have had the great pleasure of getting connected with a lot of other youth serving organizations in the community who work with the same population of youth that we're trying to serve. So they have become really great resources to send us referrals of youth as well. So right now it's a lot of referrals. I think the goal going forward as we expand is building off of referrals but also word of mouth Mm -hmm. so as youth participate in the program they don't just participate with us and then that's it they get a job and you know we never see them again the Mm -hmm. goal is that these youth come back and participate in future events so they act as peer mentors for the future cohorts that we have and then word of mouth to their peers to say that this program was successful and they enjoyed it and to really get them to help recruit youth that they know Mm-hmm. Okay, I just have one more question. Yeah. So do you have any personal stories relating to the foster youth finding success through your program? Absolutely. It's been really amazing so far to get to work with the youth that we have worked with. We, as part of our curriculum, we build um, resumes and LinkedIn profiles because that is the social media platform for the professional network. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of youth really utilize that or understand the power that something like LinkedIn can have. And so we built LinkedIn profiles for the youth that we worked with previously. And one of our youth actually was contacted by a local retailer here because they saw their LinkedIn profile. We added really great keywords. We really helped them see that the skills that they had, they might not have realized were, you know, quote unquote, valuable skills really were valuable um, in the workforce space. And Mm -hmm. so we we made it really great. And it was all just shining the light on what they had to offer. And this retailer reached out to the youth because they saw their LinkedIn profile and actually offered them a job. The youth took the job um, and had a really great relationship with the management team, their co-workers, and it was kind of everything we could have asked for in what wow. this program does. It was, you know, they got a job, but not only did they get a job, they found a job with an employer that really cared about their success. Mm-hmm. They understood that their situation at times could present challenges or various barriers. You know, we know that transportation is a barrier that a lot of youth face, and so they were incredibly understanding and worked with that youth to just make the best of it and understanding that sometimes public transportation can be tricky and that Mm -hmm. makes you run late for work and Mm -hmm. it's out of your control but things like reaching out to your manager to say I'm on my way the bus ran late but just letting you know Mm -hmm. little things like that that really make the difference in the eye of an employer um the youth was able to actually put into action. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the proudest moments I think I've had so far in this is not only did they get to get a job, but they got to use some of the skills that we worked on them with to use that in a real life workplace setting. Wow. Yeah. That's a beautiful story. It was great. It, Very was great. it is a dream job. Inspirational. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, thank you again for coming to interview with me and giving us more information about the foster youth initiative that we have here at in Las Vegas at UNLV with MGM. So I'm just going to end this and thank you so much again. Thank you. Hello, testing, testing. Hello, hello, testing, 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 testing.